she wants to know why she's given half her life to people she hates now. Stephanie says, when answering the phone, what country shall I say is calling from across the world? And welcome again to another episode of Real Talk on 92.5 WLSD The Vault. On a little bit late tonight, but that's okay. A great store, uh, store. A great show is in store for everyone tonight. Now we're going to be talking about the Wes Anderson movie called Asteroid City. But before we get involved in that, you can go to all of our. Facebook, and Spotify, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. That's all of our social medias. Please go there. Please check that out. And we're looking forward to uh, hearing everyone, um, everyone's ideas and, and thoughts on the show. Now, <clears throat> if you know, we do the show Real Talk. Every week, we come with a brand new episode. We come with a brand new movie that we want to discuss and we want to kind of give our opinion and present it to the public, which is what we do on this show. So if you want to follow along and you want to watch the live video, please do that. We're on live on YouTube now. We're live on Facebook and we're live on the Other People Show Facebook also, as well as 92.5 WLSD The Vault's Facebook page. So we are very excited to uh, be on all those places. And we're going to bring you the best show around uh, about movies. Now, I don't know if you all know, but I'm a big, huge Wes Anderson fan. Wes Anderson, he came around in the uh, mid-90s to a critical acclaim. So we're going to discuss his, uh, I guess his, what you would say his most recent film, and it's still playing in cinemas right now. It is called Asteroid City. So let's talk a little bit about that. So following a writer on his world-famous fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech-obsessed family to a small town called Asteroid City to complete in a junior stargazing event only to have his worldview disrupted forever. So that's kind of the, the basis of this film. It's got a great cast. Um, now, as with all Wes Anderson movies, he is able to attract who's who of Hollywood actors and actresses, and this movie is no different. We've got Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Brian Cranston, Liv Schreiber, Hope Davis, Stephen Park, Steve Carell, Matt Dillon, and many, many more, just to name a few. And his movies are kind of always an ensemble, uh, so to speak. And I know that his movies aren't really the kind of movie that are for everyone. And this is no different. This is a movie that you're either going to really like this movie, or you're not going to like it at all. So, like I said, this was directed by Wes Anderson, if you know any of Wes Anderson other movies, he's got Bottle Rocket in 1996, Rushmore, 1998, 
the Royal Tenenbaums in 2001. We've got the Alife Aquatic with Steve Zissou, 2004. The Jar Darjeeling Limited, 2007. Fantastic Mr. Fox, 2009. Moonrise Kingdom in 2012. The Grand Budapest Hotel, 2014. Isle of Dogs, 2018, the French Dispatch in 2021, and that brings us to the present Asteroid City in 2023. Now, I was thinking about, you know, maybe ranking, that's a water bottle, if you can't tell, it gets kind of uh, hot in here in your mouth, it gets a little bit dry, you know, doing this type of a show. But I thought about ranking the Wes Anderson movies in the way that I see fit. But I really can't do that 100% because I've not seen every Wes Anderson movie that's been made. You could be saying, well, how do you call yourself a fan if you don't know all of his movies? Now, I do know all of the movies, but I don't know every single movie that he has made as far as watching it. There was a couple with a stop, uh, stop motion animation, I guess, and that was the Fantastic Mr. Fox, Isle of Dogs. I haven't seen those two movies, but everyone says I should go ahead and check those out, that they're very clever, very witty, very dry. So pretty much basically like, um, <laughs> like the rest of Wes Anderson movies as well. And I got to say, with Wes Anderson... <clears throat> You can see that he's evolved as a filmmaker over time because he has a very specific aesthetic to his films that a lot of filmmakers don't have. Wes Anderson likes everything to be centered 100% in the middle of the screen. And that is kind of something that a lot of filmmakers don't do. You know, you'll, you'll notice in a lot of these other films of, of different filmmakers that, uh, you know, the... Uh, they do the over-the-shoulder, they do the two-shot, they do your more typical mainstream-type camera movements, but you won't find those very often in Wes Anderson movies. So that's kind of an entering, uh, interesting thing. Now, if you want to get to the budget, the budget of Asteroid City is a cool $25 million. So far in America, it has made $28 million and it's made $50.5 million dollars worldwide. We've got a Rotten Tomatoes score of 75%, IMDb score of 6.7%, and the audience score of 62%. So this isn't, I don't want to say this is one of his lesser works, because as you, as you could tell by just me naming off the cast of characters, is that it isn't just a secondary work. But I do feel <clears throat> that the cast, although good, Although great in all the roles, and they do a great job, I do think there was a couple of roles that were miscast. So, for example, we have, this is the first Bill Murray movie, well, the first uh, Wes Anderson movie since, uh, let's see what it was from, that, that he hasn't uh, been in. This is the first Bill Murray movie that of Wes Anderson's that he hasn't been in. Because Bill Murray originally was cast in Steve Carell's role, but he contracted the COVID-19 virus shortly before filming, and he had to withdraw from the production. So this is actually, if you think about it, uh, if you know movies and such, this is the second time that Steve Carell has taken over a movie 
that was uh, originally for uh, Bill Murray. Bill Murray was actually the first choice of Frank in the movie Little Miss Sunshine. So if you've seen the little movie Little Miss Sunshine from 2006, the role of Steve Carell Frank was originally for Bill Murray. Now, as far as that goes, I do think that Bill Murray was missed in this movie. Now, I often, I always, uh, I think Bill Murray is a great addition to any movie that you put him in, but I do think that he would have been miscast in Steve Carell's role. Um, I think Bill Murray would have done better in, uh, in Tom Hanks's role. I like Tom Hanks. He's, you know, he does a good job. I can never say that Tom Hanks does a, um, a bad job or anything like that. But I do think personally, and this might be, you know, against the grain, against the most people, but I do think that Tom Hanks is a little bit of an overrated actor. Not in the sense that he does bad work, and just the fact that, you know, everyone seems to love Tom Hanks. Everyone seems to like him in every role that he does. And I'm not saying that I'm one of those people, but just because Tom Hanks is in a movie, that doesn't make me want to go out and, and watch it. You know, I do know, you know, if Tom Hanks has done a movie, I'm like, well, this, this will be a quality film. He, he always does a great job. He seems to be a little bit picky in his roles, not as much the older that he's gotten. But I do think in this particular movie that Tom Hanks was miscast and it should have been Bill Murray in Tom Hanks' role. So let's go on to a little more facts if you like that kind of thing. Scarlett Johansson, which is, uh, you know, she's beautiful as always. She had no problem. She said she had no problem using a body double to film her, her full frontal nude scene. But she said it was awkward for Wes Anderson to direct it. So if you've seen Asteroid City... There's a, there's a couple scenes there where uh, her character and Jason Schwartzman's character, her character is named Midge. His name is Augie. So they're having you know, a conversation between one another from, uh, from one house to the other. And they're pretty close, probably one window to the next, probably five foot away or e even closer. But there is a full frontal nudity scene of Scarlett Johansson's. Um, briefly, I've watched this movie twice. And someone had mentioned that to me, and uh, I said, whoa, huh, whoa, huh, I missed it? And I, I, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to miss that scene, out of all scenes to miss, I didn't want to miss uh, ScarJo, but I did miss it, and I went ahead and uh, I rewatched the movie again, not just for this particular scene, but I did watch the movie once again, um, and I did catch the scene, so it's, you know, if you, if you want to see ScarJo there for a brief brief probably one second then uh then you can check that out now montana we've got montana and uh he's one of the characters in the movie montana when he walks around you can hear the sound of spurs even though he's not wearing any so that was just a kind of a cool little a cool little thought let's listen to this little bit of music here See, Wes Anderson has a very eclectic um, style as far as music goes. Certain directors, 
and I hope to be one of these these kind of directors in the future. But you can tell what kind of um, who who's directing this movie or who's directing certain movies just from the kind of score and music that is in said movie. And Wes Anderson is one of those. He's he's very folksy, very minimalistic, and uh, Asteroid City is no um, no different. So we've got Brian Cranston. I'm not sure if I mentioned him in the cast of characters earlier. Actually, I think I left him out. But Brian Cranston is also in this movie. He's more of the narrator. But Brian Cranston said of the filming of the movie was very like a family. It was a very family-oriented set. Everyone seemed to get along really well. Um, and it was kind of like, uh, you know, hugs and happiness. And uh, they would have nightly banquets. And he said he referred to this as fulfilling every actor's dream camp. So it seems like Wes Anderson's sets are some great sets to be around, fun sets to be around. But he said the filming of this movie was not easy at all, but a great experience. Now, I do know on Wes Anderson movies, Quentin Tarantino movies, Martin Scorsese movies, these kind of directors do not like their dialogue to be messed with. So when you go in to one of their movie sets to, um, you know, to act, you better know the dialogue because that's, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, he's another one. That is exactly what they want. They want the written page. They want the, the dialogue that they've written to be translated to screen. And that's why they have hired said uh, actor or actors. And like I said earlier, Wes Anderson's first film not to feature Bill Murray since Bottle Rocket. And if you remember, um, if you do remember at all, Jake and I did Bottle Rocket, uh, I guess about a year and a half, maybe two years back. I guess it was maybe maybe three years back now. And I think that's the only Wes Anderson movie that we've tackled so far. And I think that's one of his best movies, Bottle Rocket. So I would definitely go check that out. Um, I used to rent that movie, Bottle Rocket, at the the uh, Lonesome Pine Library. It was up there, and I kind of it, it won the uh, it won an award at the uh, 1996 MTV Movie Awards, like best feature, best first feature. I never had heard of it before, um, but I after after seeing it there. I ended up going, checking it out, and it's become one of a, a staple that I listen to time and time again, or not listen to, but watch time and time again, and it is a, a great movie, and uh, one of his best. So let's go ahead and get around to the plot and the story. Like I said, this is uh, Asteroid City, so pretty much what's going on here is there's a small town, I think the population is maybe 87. It's out in the desert landscape, which uh, I love movies that are featured out there. I love the, uh, I just love that kind of uh, landscape. I think it's very cinematic. I think you can put a camera anywhere in the desert, anywhere in New Mexico or Utah, Arizona, places like this. And I think you're going to get a very good looking uh, film. But Wes Anderson has, he has a great color palette. The colors in the movie are vibrant. They stick out, very noticeable. 
Um, and once you've seen a Wes Anderson movie, you're, it's not going to be mistaken for any other movie. You can definitely tell. But, you know, as far as the, the story and the plot, you know, I do think it's a pretty original story. I do think it's a, a pretty original plot. I don't, however, think that um, the plot and the story move forward in a direct, move forward quick enough. I don't think that the story propels the the movie in a, a forward motion as quick as it should. That's my only plot. That's my only real fault with the movie. To be honest with you, it just didn't grab me uh, the same way the story or the plot didn't grab me as as some of the other ones. So, you know, what can you say about that, Wes? <sighs> I'm a, I was a little disappointed there, buddy. I'm a little bit disappointed in that, but like I said, we've got we've got a cast of characters, um, and the characters they're very quirky. That's that's the thing about Wes Anderson movies. If you know anything about Wes Anderson, is that every movie in his um, arsenal has very quirky and interesting characters. Now. You would be so lucky or unlucky, I guess, depending on who you would, who you are, and how you feel about people. But it seems like personally, I know a couple of people in real life that could probably be characters in a Wes Anderson movie, without really altering how they are at all. I would have to alter myself a little bit to fit into that mold of what he has. But there are some people in my everyday life, or you know, maybe not everyday life, but that I come in contact that could easily slide into a Wes Anderson movie and not really have to do anything to, uh, you know, change, kind of to be that little quirky, witty, odd, awkward person. And uh, that's that's the same here. I mean, Asteroid City has, you got, you got Jason Schwartzman. And, I, you know, I've always liked him as an actor. I always thought he's, he's he did a good job. He was in a a, Steve, a a serious Steve Martin movie. Uh, I'll have to think of the name of it. You, I can't think of it right at the moment. But uh, it's a Steve Martin and uh, what's that girl's name? Claire Danes movie. And um, it's really good. And it's based upon uh, a book that Steve Martin wrote. And it's, it's, uh, it is called, I'm trying to think think what's called usually i can just name all the movies left and right but i'm 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 drawing a blank on this steve martin movie but it's it's really one that i think that um most people haven't heard of and i think that they should hear of i saw it in a the theater a couple of times we'll have to go in uh, imdb and check that out but jason schwartzman he does a really good job um in this movie i found and I'm, i was I'm very curious to see what maybe um Anthony thinks about this when he returns, but it was kind of like, um, this movie is, it starts off as a television production, and this kind of, I thought this was kind of cool in a way, but I also thought it was a little bit of a distraction, is that it starts off as a television show, but it's a television show of a play and the play is about a movie, is, is how I'm taking it. Now, I could be wrong, but that's kind of how I gathered. So it's kind of like a show, 
and then it goes to the stage production, and then the stage production cuts to the movie. So you kind of get a couple... Shop Girl is the name of uh, the Steve Martin movie. It's a 2005 movie. Shop Girl, I would definitely uh, check that out. It's a novella also by Steve Martin, and it's a very subtle kind of a, you know, maybe a romantic drama starring Steve Martin, Claire Danes, and Jason Schwartzman. So I would definitely check that out if you've not done that. Shop Girl. Go check that out. But as far as the, you know, characters go, it's rich in characters. Um, but I got to be honest with you, there's not any particular character that really stands out to me that makes me say, you know, there, there wasn't really anyone to identify with. There's not really like the quote, in quote, straight person. You know, straight, like, you know, you got the comedic and then you've got the straight person that, you know, all, all the things happen to. And you don't really have that in this kind of a movie. The jokes are very subtle. They're very minimalistic. Um, they're very dry. But there are some wit in there. And there are some really good... Um, I think there's some really good uh, music in there. I really do. Fats Domino. I'm walking. But... Um, you know, none of the characters, all the characters are very cool, very, uh, you know, likable, I think. There's a couple that aren't, I, I, you know, I didn't really care for Dom, Tom Hanks' character. Stanley Zack is, is Tom Hanks' character. Like I said, I think that would have been better served had it been, um, had it been uh, Bill Murray is really what I think, to be honest with you, um, 100%. So let's get on to the favorite scene or the least favorite scene. Now, like I said, you know, this is a, a movie that it all takes place in Asteroid City, a town of population, I think, of 87 or 89. And so, you know, some people go there. They're, they're doing this kind of a, a stargazing event that's happening in this town. A, a UFO happens to come down. And the people that are there for the stargazing event are pretty much going to be quarantined and unable to leave due to the um, due to the spaceship coming down and getting. Um, I think it gets a meteor. I think it. And what's kind of cool and kind of cheesy, both I guess you could say, is that the stargazing event has um, or with the. Uh, the alien uh, spacecraft, when it comes down, it's not like your typical alien spacecraft. It's got like a green glow to it. It kind of looks like something, uh, it's kind of got that green glow of something that the green go goblin threw in the, in the first Spider-Man. I think he throws some kind of bombs or something and it gives off like a green looking glow. But that's kind of the green glow that this uh, spacecraft gives off. As it's coming down, and then as the alien's coming down, the alien is a little kind of almost like almost like a stop motion character. It's 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 almost like if you've ever seen Life Aquatic, there's a couple of scenes where uh Bill Murray and his crew they're uh they're in the water and they're looking for um the jaguar shark, the tiger shark that killed his friend, Esteban. Esteban. He killed my friend Esteban. 
and and that's kind of in uh, Life Aquatic, the the fish in there are kind of like stop and an animo- uh, animation uh, fish, and that's kind of the same thing with the um, alien in this movie. So the alien comes down, picks up the uh, the uh, meteor and leaves. So everyone there's uh, quarantined for a little while. Then it cuts back though, and you find out that the alien is played by none other than uh, Wes Anderson favorite Jeffrey Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. I've always had a little bit of a, a soft spot for Jeff Goldblum. Now I know now Jeff Goldblum is, you know, I guess I don't even. I think he might be at na- uh, National Treasure kind of a way, because I mean he seems to be beloved by everyone. He's always doing his hands and moving and hum, uh, you know, it's it's just like that. And he's he's got the glasses and uh, he actually plays. Um, he has actually has a CD out, Jeff Goldblum music. Did anyone know that? I bet they didn't, because this is a very. Um, he plays jazz. He plays piano. And he uh, he plays in the Mildred Snitzer. Orchestra. Let's hear a little bit of uh, Jeff Goldblum, see how he stacks up. Because I've always kind of wanted to see Jeff Goldblum live. So I think it would be a fun experience. I think that he would dazzle the audience. I see him as being someone that uh, could capture the audience and really get them engaged in his songs. So let's let's hear a little bit of uh, Jeff Goldblum. That's is what we want to try to do here. If we can do that. Let's see if we can do that right here. Got a couple different things going on at the moment. And let's see what we got. Now, I was hoping Mr. Goldblum would sing during this song, but uh, maybe he's just playing the uh, piano. But he's got a good sound. He's got that slick silver fox hair, the black rimmed glasses. That's who I aspire to be when I'm older. Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) Now, I think if Jeff Goldblum played a little song in this movie as the alien it would have been a little bit better oh yeah let's get down to the jazz oh yeah
That's something. If if, uh, if anybody wants to get me Jeff Goldblum in the uh, Mildred Snitzer Orchestra, you can please do that. I'm. Uh, I would definitely go with you if you want to go. I don't mind to do that at all. Uh, but as, as far as the favorite scene, you know, that scene might be one of my favorites in the movie where the alien is coming down a little bit. Um, it's kind of a cool aesthetic compared to the rest of them. I mean, the whole movie, is it looks beautiful. I cannot deny that the, it's a beautiful looking movie. The colors, like I said earlier, they're vibrant. And, um, but it looks like a movie. Like, there, there's no mistaking at all that this is a mo it isn't a movie. There's another scene in there where, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, it's got uh, Jason Schwartzman and Scarlett Johansson, and Scarlett Johansson's character uh, is a an, is an actress, and she's wanting Mister Mister Schwartzman to do a, a monologue with her, or I guess read lines, some dialogue with her, and there's some witty banter and dialogue that goes on between them, and that's kind of that's kind of one of my favorite scenes. Obviously, you've got the the full frontal scene, which you know you can't go wrong with that. Uh, that's for half a second, so that's uh, a good scene. But, you know, as far as that goes, I don't... In, in most other Wes Anderson movies, I can pinpoint a scene that I really, truly like 100%. And I can't really say that this is a movie that I could, that I could pick, that, pick a scene out and say, if you want to know what this movie is, go watch this particular scene. I, I wish I could do that, but I really can't do that. So really, if you wanted to get, you know, there's some movie trailers that, that are out there. They'll give away the, the complete movie. So I wouldn't recommend, you know, certain movie trailers to see because it's just like, you know, act one, two, and three, except condensed down for a movie trailer. This trailer, though, for Asteroid City, it's one that you should uh, check out. If you like the trailer, it looks interesting. I think you'll like the movie or maybe not like the movie, but you'll like to check the movie out. If the trailer doesn't look interesting to you, that I wouldn't go ahead and spend, you know, an hour and a half, actually, uh, I think an hour and 40 minutes uh, on this one. But the score and the music, um, you know, like I said earlier, there's minimalistic movie uh, score. If you like um, other Wes Anderson movies, then you're going to enjoy the soundtrack and the score in this one. If you don't, then, you know, you might not. So let's see if I can we can find a couple little songs here that would kind of turn you on to, to some of the move uh, some of the music from Asteroid City. It's very folksy a lot of the time, especially in this movie. And there's a couple times, at least once, that I can think of where they do break out into like a little song and a dance, which is kind of cool. I, I I didn't mind it. It kind of broke up things a little bit, but let's see. Now, uh, Robert, he's saying that she, he thinks that Scarlett Johansson gave one of the most wonderful performances in the movie, and sometimes he said he thinks that she's overshadowed because of her beauty, and I would agree with that. In, in this movie, she's dark-headed. I think she works uh, best, well, not works, but I think uh, 
And I'm not really into blondes, but I think she she the natural blonde hair fits her better. But I do agree with Robert that um, she does give a, a good performance. And her and uh, Jason Schwartzman talking with one another is part of the one of the highlights of the movie. But you can kind of hear the, you know, a little bit of the soundtrack here. It's kind of fun. Dance in your car. Only if you're parked, though. So yeah, if you like that kind of, you know, quirky sound uh, songs, you know, you'll you'll like the movie, you know, or like the soundtrack. I, th I think it's fun. I do think the soundtrack and the soundtrack to most uh, Wes Anderson movies, very eclectic, very folksy, very minimalistic. Um, you know, this movie takes place in the 50s, um, and that was Johnny Duck Duncan and the Bluegrass Boys, Last Train to San Fernando. So it's kind of got that little vibe to it, um, the folksy vibe from you know the the mid '50s, early '60s kind of a thing, and I think it fits the movie well. I think Wes Anderson does score movies well. He knows when to put in uh, music, and as we've discussed on the show many many times, you've got to have a good score. You've got to have good music because if you have a good movie or even a great movie, the score can actually bring the movie down if it doesn't live up to the movie. And, um, you know, it's another piece of the puzzle. Here's one of the songs from the movie, actually. Now that song there, that song's actually sang in the actual movie. They're they're talking and they kind of just break out into song, and it doesn't really, I guess, make a lot of sense just talking about it briefly on the show like this. But it's, uh, I guess, it's two thirds of the way into the movie, and um, that that's you know kind of uh, <laughs> if you can understand and get the get the vibe of, of the movie from what I'm giving you out, you can kind of dictate whether you think you're going to like it or this is not a movie for you. So. Originality, I would say this is a very original movie. Um, you know, Wes Anderson movies, I can never say that they're cookie-cutter movies. They're always very original. They're always very fun. They're, uh, they're quirky. They have a, you know, um, eclectic group of characters, always. So that's never up for debate. And the originality of this movie is not up for debate either. So... It, it falls pretty much right in line with the rest. I mean, we've got, what, one, two, 11 movies in, and, uh, you know, he's not really disappointed as far as the musical score or anything like that goes um, in originality. I mean, every single movie that he has dealt with is very original. So originality in this movie is no exception also. The poster... Now, I do want to, um, you can look up Asteroid City. There's a couple of different posters out there. There's the one sheet um, that has uh, some characters on it, and then there's some of the actual city. You've got the asteroid, um, you know, like, like the crater in the ground. 
That's kind of a cool, cool poster. Very minimalistic, you know, just like all of other Wes Anderson movies. You've got the cast, you know, in the top right-hand corner. You know, there's about 10 or 12 cast members there. Uh, they're highlighted in black lettering. And then you've got a very bright and vibrant poster. And, you know, if you have Wes Anderson posters in your room, or in your house framed, this would make a great addition to those. You know, you've. Um, I don't think it's his best poster, but I think it does sum up the movie pretty well. And I think uh, it sums up the movie as well also. Um, let's see, would I recommend this movie or not? You know, that's a little bit of a, uh, a little question that I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure on. I purchased this movie a couple days ago, maybe Monday. Um, I went ahead and bought the, the Blu-ray, um, because it has a lot of the special features, which I haven't got to watch yet, but I will give this movie another go around. It's one of those movies to me, it's on the first two viewings, it, it's not my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Do I dislike it? No, because I'm going to watch it again. Probably tonight after the show, I'll probably go back and give it another, at least some scenes, another watch. But, um, would I say this would be, if you've never watched a Wes Anderson movie, I don't think this would be the movie that I would start you out on. Because I think if you were like, so, so one, let me give you a little bit of a scenario here. So my friend Talitha and I, this is back in 2001, back when I was, you know, in a, a little bassinet, <laughs> just kidding. It was in 2001 and we're living in Northern Virginia and, uh, up there we, you know, the, the theaters and often bigger cities, especially then you're able to be subjected to movies that you're not always subjected to in a smaller region. Um, now we can do it obviously with streaming and uh, fire stick and all that kind of thing. But at the time, if you didn't see some of these movies in, in the theaters in the, in the city, you would have to wait a couple of months for them to come out on uh, you know DVD or come to a movie channel or something like that. So Talitha and I went to watch the movie called The Royal Tenenbaums. And The Royal Tenenbaums is, uh, it is, that, I guess that would be, um, I, that's, that is Wes Anderson's uh, second highest grossing movie, meaning making money, after, I think, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Now, Talitha had told me that she thought the Royal Tenenbaums was awful. She, she said it was boring. She didn't like it. And, um, and I could see that. I could understand why someone wouldn't like it. It's, stole, it's told more in a, like a novel. You know, the chapters, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Alec Baldwin, Baldwin is the, um, kind of the narrator. And, but I would say that would be one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies. But I would not start someone out with that. Chapter 1 How It All Began You know, if I were going to start you off on a Wes Anderson movie, I think that I would take you and say, just go ahead and start off with the very first one, Bottle Rocket. 
It's got Owen Wilson. It's got Luke Wilson. Um, and I'm trying to think. It's got uh, it's got the guy that plays in Misery. Um, his name eludes me right now. But I would I would definitely check out uh, Bottle Rocket. I think you know I've looked at a lot of a lot of lists uh, ranking Wes Anderson movies, and Bottle Rocket seems to be you know five or, or lower on the list. Um, I guess because it doesn't deal with some of the complex issues that some of his later movies do. But I do think that Bottle Rocket is a fun, it's fast-paced, it's got some great characters to it, it's very original. And if if I were to make, if, if my masterpiece would be, if I were to make Bottle Rocket, and it happened to be the masterpiece that I made out of all the films that I make, it would be a proud moment. Um, I would go, also, I would go Darjeeling Limited. I actually went to a screening one time up in uh, Arlington. It was a screening of 300 people. And it was a, uh, it was before the movie was released to the public. So, you know, everyone had to stand out in line and it was really cool. It was one, uh, it's always fun to me to go to like, you know, preview screenings of movies that are up and coming, especially when, when it's a movie like this, because you know, when you go to movies off and not always, but when you go to these kind of movies, like special screenings of things, these are for movie lovers. And chances are you're going to be there with someone else that loves movies like I do. Like I truly do enjoy movies and I don't just enjoy them as a time waster because that's one thing that I don't like to do with my time. Time is something we can never ever get back. So I want to try to utilize every moment of time available. And whenever I'm watching a movie, I don't want it to be a movie that I'm actually just trying to plow through to get through. I want to enjoy it. I want to absorb it. I want to learn about the score. I want to learn about the actors. I want to learn everything that I can about the movie, especially when doing a, a movie review show such as this. But even before that, I've always enjoyed it. So I would go, if you're going to check out the top three Wes Anderson movies right off the bat, I would say I would say the top four. Well, top five. I would say Bottle Rocket. You've got the Darjeeling Limited, Life Aquatic, Rushmore, and the Royal Tenenbaums. Is that five? That's what I would do. No, no particular order. No particular order at all. But I don't. I don't know how. I don't know how easy some of those are to find. Bottle Rocket. I've had that for a long time. I actually bought Bottle Rocket on VHS from a. Um, from a rental store back in probably 2001. Often I would go to some of the you know video stores and such, and if I couldn't find the movie that I wanted because I didn't used to release every single film, I would just go ahead and just ask, "Hey, can I uh, can I buy this?" And often they would let me, and sometimes they wouldn't.